0: Hello everyone, welcome into another episode of the MLS Bench Podcast. And today is the big one, the preview of MLS Cup. First, we'll touch on a whole bunch of other stuff, including the, uh, the conference, or conference finals that just finished up uh, this past Sunday, um, the West playing first and then the East. And then obviously dive into the thing that you guys are probably all here for, which is our preview of uh, really the two best teams in the league in LAFC and Philadelphia that are going to go at it 4 p.m. on the East this coming Saturday. But first, because, you know, we don't want to get too, uh, too into it right away, MVP voting um, wrapped up and the MVP was announced, uh, I believe it was Monday, Monday or Tuesday of this week. and. Maybe surprising to some people, but in the end, it wasn't really close in the voting. Hani Mukhtar of uh, Nashville SC wins uh, the Landon Donovan MLS MVP award. It wasn't particularly close. Andres, first of all, how are you doing? Uh, great to talk uh, some exciting MLS action with you this week. And what are your initial thoughts on Hani Mukhtar being the league's MVP for the 2022 season?
1: Hey, Joey. Yeah, I'm doing good. Um, for having me on again uh, I think uh, it, it makes sense you know there was there was a time you know maybe eight to ten games left in the regular season uh, where Nashville uh, looked like they could potentially uh, miss out on the playoffs and weren't particularly playing very well and Hani basically took that team on his back um, and, and got them over the hump and got them over the line and into the playoffs again uh, and that was almost exclusively due to his play. And it sort of coincided with uh, Austin sort of, uh, you know, losing a little bit of form uh, after the big LAFC win. I think Drewsy didn't score for like five or six games uh, during, that, during that time frame. And I think ultimately that's what, you know, those were the those were the two front runners, the two main guys that were going for it. And I think that's ultimately what, what t- you know, tilted it towards uh, Hani's direction. And I think it's... Also in somewhat uh, you know in some ways, a testament to the last two years of what Hani um, has meant to that Nashville team that that came into the league maybe with lower expectations than than Miami did and has ultimately been more successful in the first couple of years uh, so yeah, congratulations to hani mukhtar he's been He's been a pleasure to watch for you know three seasons now, um, and I think it's probably well deserved
2: yeah uh, it's it's pretty much the only option. You know, Drew had a wonderful run this season. He absolutely did. But it, it, yeah. in the history of MLS, a lot of MVPs also happen to be golden boot winners. And so, really, if you look at that team, Nashville has, what, four players who were elite, elite in, in this league. Whereas Austin, eh, ooh, bad example, actually. Austin only has... Basically, Drew Um But Nashville, or Dax McCarty called out Nashville because of the fact that only Mukhtar was performing. And that, that's really what brought them back up to the level. Everybody else stepped up. He was kind of the standard bearer for that club and brought them back up, exactly like you said, Andres. This is well-deserved. Congrats to Hani.
0: Yeah, just before we move on, some of the specifics on that: Uh, the votes for MVP are breaking are broken down by player, media, club. That's the way that a lot of MLS individual awards work. Um, He basically smoked Triusi in every category. Finishes with forty eight percent of the total vote. Triusi was second with sixteen. It was not particularly close. Uh, The biggest difference was the media vote. Mutar gets seventy eight percent of the media vote. Uh, no other candidate got more than thirteen. I don't believe, and that was that was Drew So, yeah, he just it, he ran away with this award, and I think really it was that second half of the season, you know, post August, really September into October, when he put a stamp on that award. You know, was the player and has been for a couple years, by the way. But was the player. Um, that Natural could rely on, got them to the playoffs. Um, and we saw even in the first round, the Galaxy stopped Hani, they stopped all of Natural SC, and that's why Nashville isn't in the playoffs, is because they devoted all their resources to stopping Hani Mutar. Uh, and just a heck of a player. He's so good. Uh, Andres, last word on this and we can move on. The media
1: the media one is interesting to me. What do you guys think is going on there? Because I mean, yes, Hani won all three categories, but The media one is just an absolute blowout and you know i'm trying to think is it you know it's not like either one of these are american so there's not really a bias there it's not like either one of them are like new york or la on the coast where you could have a big city bias there so what do you guys think is going on Uh, i struggle to understand i mean not not that it's not deserved just a big margin 78 to 13 is in the media any any ideas or any theories my initial thought is that the timing just worked
2: out really, really well. Uh, I, I think you know anybody looking at at sports or looking at media is generally has a pretty short memory. Um, and really, where did Hani win this? He won it in the second half of the season, where Nashville started to really, really zoom forward. Um, Austin, like I think, like you said, had a kind of a bit of a dip, and so that that kind of dropped a little bit. Or, uh, drop them off of the attention a little bit, um, and then I think that there's a thought that there are a couple of pieces around Drewsi that really, really helped him get to where he was. Specifically, I'm thinking of Fagundes and Ring. Whereas you know, Hani's working with uh, CJ Sapong and Dax McCarty. You know, obviously all great players in the league, but. There's just, it's a little bit easier to say, oh, look at how big of an impact this player is having. And obviously the the numbers also just really, really match up. I mean, he's
0: incredible. Yeah, I think the last thing on that media thing is just a lot of people, I think Carlos Hill deserved the award last year, but a lot of people felt that Hani really did as well. By him not winning it last year, it could be a little bit of a, you kind of combine last year with what he's done this year, and it is just so clear how, you know, important he is for Nashville. Almost kind of a uh, he deserves to win it this year kind of thing. Um maybe kind of piggybacking off you off what he did last year and, you know, if Carly's heel wasn't on the team that broke the points record, maybe it is Hani who has it last year. You know what I mean?
2: I'll also say Hani did win major league soccer, the MLS All Star Weekend skills competition over League MA keys, that's probably a big big component too. I uh, that is pure sarcasm, but I will hold to my death. That that's why he won.
0: Man, the skills competition, there's nothing like it, honestly. I mean, really in all of world soccer, if being if we're being honest, but
2: Oh, it rules. I, I uh, love that dumb thing.
0: It's the best. It really is the best. I mean, it's it's kind of that that is MLS 4.0 for you. That kind of crossbar challenge, get you know, get it for the get it for the gram, right? Noah Beck, all that stuff. Oh, it's the best. Um anyways. So that's the uh, MLS MVP uh, voting for this year. Hani Mutar runs away with the award well-deserved for a player that really is the you know end-all, be-all for Nashville. Uh, and I think very quickly, Stephen Goff tweeted out about two hours ago that the MLS Best 11 is out, so we can touch on that to finish up the awards before we hit on all the specific analysis of the games that just took place this past weekend. MLS Best Eleven. will start in goal Andre Blake for Philadelphia, defenders Jacob Glesnes, Kai Wagner, and Walker Zimmerman, midfield Luciano Acosta, Sebastian Driussi, Daniel Gazdag, and Hani Mutar, and up top, Jesus Ferreira, Brandon Vasquez, and Carlos Vela. So, really not too much to pick on in there. I'll just kind of hit each of you with your thoughts and we can move on. Uh, First thing that stands out is that uh, Philadelphia has four players. Uh, no other team has more than two, and that's Cincinnati with Acosta and Vasquez. Other just points of, you know, just contention, maybe Chicho uh over Carlos Vela, but Vela has been, you know, he has been himself this year, and he's been quite good, the captain on uh, the supporter shield winning team, so I can 100% see why they did that. And when you talk about a player like Acosta, Drew, C. Vasquez, all those guys definitely deserving, and Zimmerman is solid as a rock. Andres, thoughts on this um, MLS best
1: 11? Yeah, you basically put a 3-4-3 with four 10s and three strikers or or wingers. You don't play with any 6s or 8s. You don't play with any fullbacks. So, I I mean, I, I know it's nitpicky, but it's not really a functional eleven. You might as well just call it our favorite or best eleven players, rather than just going by position. Um, I don't. I don't have any bone to pick um, necessarily. Although I'm not sure Zimmerman was up to his normal level this year. Um, you could have made the argument even for for Jack Elliott or, or uh, Alex Collins there. Um, I also am not sure Vela was uh, up to his normal self. Uh, but, I mean, it's kind of a fun award. I, I prefer they, they go more functional. I think it'd be really interesting to see what this that team would do in MLS. Um, they might score 150 goals and give up 120. But, yeah, for real. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I, it's kind of where I'm at on that. Not taking it yeah, too I, seriously. I don't think you can take it seriously uh, too much. Hey, 100%. And, like, yeah,
2: I... I I would have loved to see a shout for, for an Elier for uh, uh, Jose Martinez. Um, I'm trying to think, you know, uh, there are a couple of fullbacks who had pretty good years. I think specifically, uh, oh gosh, uh, Raheem Edwards was very, very good for the Galaxy. And then G. Chorizo honestly has a, a decent shout uh, at the nine as well. But it, it's so difficult to put all the talent in this league across 28 teams in one you know, one eleven. So, um, you can't really argue with the inclusion of any of these players. They've all been exceptional this season. Uh, it shows that major league soccer is very, very top heavy in their talent. It's, uh, like you said, four tens as a, a functional midfield is not going to cut it. But, uh, those are, that is probably where really the nexus of talent is in this league at this moment.
0: Yeah. I agree with basically everything both of you guys said, uh, just, you know, some fun awards, uh, to finish up our kind of fun section of the pod, but we can dive in now to, you know, the, the two games that dominated this last weekend, uh, we will start chronologically as always, uh, the early game on Sunday, LAFC hosting Austin FC in the Western Conference Final, and this wasn't really ever a game, um maybe outside the first couple minutes when Austin seemed like they maybe wanted to put a little pressure on uh, LAFC. LAFC scored pretty early in this one, 29 minutes in. Arango scores off of Vela Corner. They never really looked back. They dominated the first half. They could have had probably two or three. Rudy has an own goal on 62 minutes, his first touch after coming on the pitch. That was unfortunate. Uh, Apoku has a nice goal on 81 minutes. And... LAFC was never really threatened. I really don't, yeah, recall a moment that Sebastian Driussi really threatened LAFC at all. And when you know Austin's breadwinner isn't threatening, um, that's kind of that. That's kind of their team, and LAFC is happy to walk away with one of the easier wins in a conference final that I can remember. Matt, I'll give you the first crack of this one. What do you have on this? And I think really. The standout is just LAFC so, so good, and Austin just really couldn't match it.
2: Yeah, this this was a pretty thorough victory for LAFC. Um, they did a, a handful of things really, really well. Um, specifically, their wingers and uh, Fuentes making runs out of midfield had just incredible activity on basically these diagonal runs either on either side of the central defender. Um, and... There was just not much of an answer on it. And a big part of that is the fact that they were not getting pressured, or a, specifically, Mario um, was not getting the pressure that you really need to in order to prevent them from dropping a ball basically right on the 18. Like, there were so many times where Stuver had to run out to make a really, really awkward challenge, and it very nearly got punished at, I think, the 25th minute or so. Um, you know, Sifu and Hollingshead both had shots that absolutely rattled the upright. Uh, this, this was just a complete domination. Um, trying to think, from Austin's perspective, <sighs> rough. This was probably one of their worst games this season, unfortunately. Uh, and really, only Stuver had a, a competent performance, unfortunately. Um, this LAFC team, unless you pressure them really, really smartly, they're going to tear you up. And I think there's there's parts of this that are going to be applicable to their their upcoming game against Philadelphia, but I think that Philadelphia also understands they need to put pressure on because it just did not happen, and it gave so much time to LAFC this, this uh, weekend.
0: Yeah, Andres, can you remember a performance or a a domination like this in such a big game in recent MLS history, I really can't. Like, every conference final is usually, I mean, at least there's something in the game heading into the 60th minute. This thing was over by the time, you know, the last 30 rolled around. I just, it was just a complete domination start to finish. And this is an LAFC team that we haven't really seen in a bit. Should scare Philadelphia and really any team that, you know, comes up against this juggernaut.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to think back. I, I can't remember one right off the top of my head uh, where it was just so lopsided. And it, it was, like Matt said, really a thorough uh, victory here for LAFC. And and I think the point about the pressure is a good one. If you remember back to when Austin kind of dominated LAFC a few weeks back, well, now it's, I guess it's like two months back, uh, that 4-1 win, it, they were putting all sorts of pressure uh, on LAFC, and the, at that point, LAFC was having trouble playing, you know, out of the back, and they were turning the ball over in dangerous positions. Um, and in this case, you know, the center backs kind of walk up into into midfield, put their head up, and and play long balls uh, to these diagonal runs that were really, you know, troubling uh, Austin uh, Stuvers having to come out to his 18 and knee balls away, and it, it was just. You know they end up scoring on two set pieces to to get it going, uh but they could have scored like on four or five other chances um and I think you know, I wonder what josh wolf if he if he thinks back and says that maybe uh playing Musajite here instead of a Rudy uh, cost him a little bit defensively and getting that pressure on uh if he'd want to have that decision back. I understand where it came from cuz cuz GTA was pretty hot and scoring uh, but ultimately they just couldn't get any pressure on the ball and and LAFC just kind of run them run them right it was uh it was comfortable and it was as comfortable as I could remember a big game like this
0: being for a really long time I think it was just so key for LAFC's perspective they never broke that line like Elias's line right the the two eights right Sofuentes and Acosta did such a good job of pressuring. It, it. Any ball that got past them was pretty easy money for Ilier. Uh, and, and the back line was never threatened as a result, right? That scary run that Drewski scored on versus Dallas where he takes the ball from 35 yards, dribbles down basically Dallas's throat, cuts and shoots and scores. It just never happened. There, the run was never there because the ball was never in that position for him to take it up. And that just made it so much easier for LAFC to basically dictate the game and allow the back line and Elie to just essentially look forward, play with the game in front of them. And, and for a midfield and a back line, it is just so easy when all you have to worry about is what's in front of you. You don't have to worry about anything that coming down your throat. And that's why LAFC was so comfortable in the end and was never really threatened defensively while this game was still even close. Matt, what do you have on this? I, uh, a big part of that, I think,
2: unfortunately comes down to the choice to play uh, Rigoni over Finley. Finley is pretty direct. He does a, a handful of things really, really well. Uh, Rigoni was pretty rough basically in every facet of the game. He did not track back very well. Um, there were I think there were at least two or three times where He, you know, got the ball about, you know, 15, 20 yards into LAFC's half, and it starts running backwards, trying to, I guess, draw someone out, but possession just went to die on the right wing, and they just never actually challenged that back line like you're talking about. That was was really, really disappointing. I think that also is a component of why you really did not hear Drewsy's name in this match that much, because the ball went off to the right, or Acosta, Elie and Sifu were really, really eating stuff up when they were trying to play through centrally. It was just, just not good enough from Austin, unfortunately. I think that this was just a, a personnel and a tactical decision that they just got wrong.
0: We take a, uh, just a moment to realize just how good Chicho Arango's been for this team. He's just been incredible. Like he's he keeps scoring. He he's pressuring. He just does everything that you want a striker to do. And these big games have not phased him. You add in Vela, obviously, you know the legend, and then Buanga has really come into his own in the last couple of weeks. This attack is at a level that I really haven't seen even before, right, they got Buanga, and everyone's like, okay, these signings hurt them. I think that at least attacking-wise, they've really found their form in these last couple weeks. And I think the, that the Buanga signing in particular is really starting to pay off. Andres, just quickly, um, what do you think this attack, or this, this kind of renaissance in the attack, has given them these last couple of weeks? Um, and has why do you think it's made them such a better team on the whole? It's not just that they're scoring, they're just they seem so much more threatening when they have the ball.
1: I think they found a the good balance uh, playing Buwanga and Vela on, on the wings. Uh, you know, Vela is an inverted winger on the right, and, and Buwanga more, more direct on the left, and, and Chicho is not, not missing chances when he gets them. You know, they aren't... The last couple of, uh, of these chances haven't been particularly you know, difficult ones to put away, but how many times do we see guys rush uh when you you know when you're in in that area uh within the 18 and and, and sky one or or miss kick it and he's just not doing that so you know vela can can get his head up and play balls he's got an impeccable first touch which keeps him in plays that other people can't uh, buwanga is finding confidence to finish and along with the technicality and the fast feet that he's got to go at players uh, and chicho like you mentioned uh it's pressure on the ball helps them defensively. Finishes chances. So and and I, I want to mention Opoku, who comes in and gets the third goal. Uh, you know he provides something off the bench, especially if he's coming in for Vela. Uh, that's totally different because he is more direct and gets more pressure than Vela does. Um, even if maybe his you know his first touches and his passes aren't as ex- exquisite, uh, it's just really complete. And do you think that they're doing this? with no Teo, with no Bale, uh, having sold uh, Brian Rodriguez. Uh, it's just really impressive. And, and there's a reason why they're you know one to two favorites uh, for MLS Cup and why they're playing it at home and support sh- supporter shield winners. They're, it's just as complete an attack as you've got in the league, clearly.
0: Yeah, balance is the word, right? Midfield balance, attacking balance. Defensively, that they've kind of they found their form. Chiellini came back in to start this game. Uh, played well in the first half, got subbed. I think it was preventative. I think is what they were saying. We'll see if uh, he's able to go on Saturday. But honestly, hopefully he is because he you know he's such a legend in the the sport. But even if he's not, this team is still so deep at that center back position. After right loaning out Mamadou Fall, uh, that they can, they probably can start two or three guys at that position and almost not lose a beat. Right, uh, Poe really didn't have to do much in this game at all.
1: Joey, can we do a, a little bit of a post-mortem on Austin before we move on? Oh, sure. Yeah, go ahead. Just what are your guys' thoughts on kind of where they're at currently? Where, where, where does this season leave them? And, you know, what, going forward, um, what are you thinking um, in terms of areas of improvement or, or just general thoughts on Austin?
2: I'll start it off. I, it, the big thing, obviously, is that they had a full season of Drew and he was magical. Like, such a massive step forward for that team that finished, what, second from the bottom in the West uh, the year before. Um, they they really, really got a number of things right. I think that Pereira is a very, very good uh, six to build around. Ring is obviously incredible in this league. Um and then Stuver has been a game winner. If we're talking about areas of improvement, I I think I'm not going to say one game is going to determine Rigoni. I just I'm not sold on yet. But you know we'll we'll see if he gets a little bit more time, a little bit more training, get a little bit more familiarity. That could change pretty quickly. Um, striker is the biggest biggest question for them. It's you know. Jite has been all right, but very streaky. Um, Ruti has been exactly what you know Ruti's going to be. He's going to get you twelve to fifteen goals a season, or yeah, I don't know his exact numbers this year. Um, he's going to get you around ten goals a season. I think that they need if <laughs> if they're going to take a massive step forward, that's what we're going to see. We're going to see. A, a, a really really solid acquisition from outside or i think they need to start looking inside the league and then probably just a little bit more depth in the back those are the two things that i think really really changed the game for them
0: i think defensively they were able to right some of the wrongs of the previous years right uh Gabrielsen was a big pickup for them Cascante, was pretty solid as well. I think those are two positives that they can carry on in the next season. Off a of set pieces that were really dangerous. That's something that, you know, you if you have that in your pocket, you can always bring that out at any point in the game and that's massive as well. I think the big question for next year is, you know, I think some of their underlings weren't, you know, the some of the stats people had to go at Austin and Austin Twitter had to go, you know, and there's that kind of contention between, you know, the experts quote unquote and and Austin fans. And I think a lot of it is really just, this was a surprise. No one really expected Austin to be this good this year. Can they keep that up? And really, I think it does come down to that attack. And can Driussi and Arruti and Fagundes all be firing the way that they were really in the middle of the season? But, you know, can they all be, you know, firing on all cylinders? Because if they can't, then I think this Austin team is still a good team. But it's certainly not in the Western Conference Final. I think the the way that this team gets better is more midfield stability. Can you control the game a little bit more than they did at points in this season and allow Driussi to really operate with more time, with more, you know, more opportunities on the ball because, you know, it's not rocket science. Get the ball to Fragundez. get it to Driussi, good things are going to happen. Can you make that more common in the game and then prevent some of those attacks down their throat? And, you know, some of the quick attacks that LAFC were just so dangerous on, if you can make the game a little more in your favor by adding a little bit more midfield stability, I think that's going to be the difference. And whether it means buying a new midfielder, maybe rotating shape just a little bit, whatever, whatever that means, I think that's where Austin takes a step forward. I think they can run this back next season and still be a playoff team. And I think for them, especially just in their you know third year in the league, that's still a positive. And I think this season, um, this this season brought a lot of positives for them. Andres, you you want to do the post mortem? Do you have one of your own for Austin?
1: I think you guys mostly covered it. Uh, I'm mostly in agreement. I think uh, we've talked about how you know, neither the underlying numbers nor really the eye test supported a second place 56 point team. Um, That said, I I agree with you. They're they're probably a consistent playoff caliber roster even if they don't make any moves. Um, And I tend to agree with Matt. I think you go, you you need uh, another person or another player at nine uh, who's more of a nine uh, that can get you consistent goal scoring. The right wing situation, even before Regoni came in, was kind of a a question mark. They were hoping, I guess, Regoni was going to fill that. Uh, You know, Jury's obviously out. He was not good the first seven, eight games that he played. So that's an area of a little bit of concern. And I'd like to see them go out and get another center back. Um, Gabrielson and Cascante were better than expected. Um, But I think having another person either to compete with them, uh, to replace one of them, or even just to... To to be another option would be would be useful if you can take care of those three and those are three pretty big ones um, Then you could be looking at a similar type of result Next season where you're competing in the top three or four Um, If they kind of stand pat, I think they're more of a uh, You know playoff Edge type of roster right now, um, which is still pretty pretty good coming coming two years in so that's kind of where I'm at on them uh, interesting offseason to see how they build out from what was a unequivocally successful season.
0: Yeah, I think that's kind of everything that you could have on Austin kind of encapsulated there. I think that's a good post-mortem on their season. We'll probably dive in uh, and kind of rehit that that when, whenever we do, you know, kind of recapping the season as a whole. But I think that's good on Austin, specifically kind of using the Western Conference Final. You know, that is that is the game that shows where they have to grow, right? Like this, is, this is the game that kind of highlighted all those points of weaknesses. And, you know, you're not going to play a team as good as LAFC every game. So some of the, some of the time those weaknesses can be masked, but you know, when you play a team that is that good, that is that kind of MLS cup caliber, that's where Austin FC have to get to. And that's why this game, and, and Josh Wolf, you know, even though you, you don't love, a result like this, obviously, you can use this game as a building block for next year and kind of seeing how you have to improve and a wake-up call every once in a while is not the worst thing for a team. So we'll see what they're able to bring next year, maybe implementing some of those changes that we talked about. Uh, that's about it for the West. 3-0 LAFC in LA. They will host MLS Cup Final. And even before the affiliate and NYCFC game, that was known, LAFC, as the number one seed in the league as a whole will host MLS Cup. And so we can move to the East. The night game, I was at it. Uh, my Philadelphia Union took on NYCFC, a rematch of last year's conference final. If you remember last year, Philly had about half the team out due to a COVID outbreak. This year, not quite the same, but for uh, NYCFC, Maxim Cheneau never was never healthy, never got back in, and I think that that was that was a just a massive loss for them. You know, like you said, Andre sliding out of that three back that they were so good at. Uh, Tyus Magno never regained uh his health either, either, and uh did not start. Was not on the bench. I don't believe for this game. So those are two massive players right there for NYCFC that just never saw the field to begin with. And even though th- those things were the case, it was a pretty cagey first half. Neither team had a ton of great opportunities. Philly put one in the back of the net. But was called back due to offsides into the second half. Then, and uh, Maxi Morales, the player that ended the Union season last year, made them pay on 57 minutes. A beautiful team goal by NYCFC. It was kind of destined for the net. It's one of those passing sequences that you just you have a feeling the entire way, and he slotted it home. And at that point, the Union were getting you know, completely destroyed in possession. They looked out of it, and I even I thought that that might be it for the Union season. But off a quick set piece after substitution, Carranza scored on 65 minutes. Two minutes later, uh, Ball gets served in by McGlynn, nodded back from Carranza to Gazdag, who's running in, and scores the second. And in two minutes, Union back in front. Somehow the stadium's kind of shocked. And then Corey Burke, about 10 minutes after that, a great individual run, gets the ball, ends up finishing with the left foot after a bit of scrappiness. in the Union... Kind of out of nowhere, grab three goals in about ten minutes, and grab the Eastern Conference Final. They will be going to MLS Cup in LA, and it was just one of those games where NYCFC switched off for a moment. That moment ended up, you know, compounding in new two more goals, and that's their season right there. Andres, I'll start with you for this one. Philly three, NYCFC one. What were your thoughts as you were watching this game, and I guess kind of. Recapping this one, what were some of the major turning points that, you know, make Philly Eastern Conference champions for the first time?
1: There's there's so much to unpack with this one, um, just from all sorts of different angles. Uh, first of all, I think the first half was basically the type of game that I was expecting the entire game to be. Uh, 0.22 uh, to point one seven in the first half expected goals. Just not open at all, cagey. Um, you know, tough type of scrappy game. Um, that's kind of what I was expecting going in. I thought Philadelphia would try to frustrate NYC and that the longer it would go, no, uh, nil, the, the, the better it would be for Philadelphia. And they'd eventually, uh, you know, try to squeak by with, with a goal here or there. Um, it totally opened up in the second half. Um, you're, you're right with, it seemed like Philadelphia came out beginning of the second half, maybe a little bit more. Or, or excuse me, a little bit less intense, uh, and NYC can can do these passing sequences. We saw them do it to Montreal. We saw them do it to Miami, where they can come out uh, out of the back with Sean John um, and just play some really really nice soccer. Uh, and eventually, Maxi can make one of these late runs uh, and put one in the back of the net. And and it seemed like everything was kind of going uh, NYC's direction, and then they just kind of asleep uh, i i don't know how else to put it it's like they they went to sleep for six minutes um and we're down to one right afterwards not to take anything away from from the plays that philadelphia made because both of them one was a really smart set piece um run and, and quick restart that caught nyc off guard um the other one they gave jack mcglynn time on the left foot um, where he's super dangerous and, and you know didn't do very well defending uh the back post uh, but yeah, NYC just kind of turned off. Like you said, they switched off for a little while and, and that ended their season. Uh, the The formation and the tactics decisions made by NYC were interesting. We talked about this three-back system or four-back, um, which would they des- decide if Chanel wasn't available. They decided to stick with their system um, and, and brought Justin Hacken as a third center back which is you know not saying it's right or wrong but it's one of the major decisions that they that they made um and on the other side jim Curtin decided to play bedoya uh, despite him being obviously less than 100 percent um again not saying it was right or wrong but it was a, it was a major decision that i think had a, a pretty big influence so I want to give Matt some time to talk about it, but just a really interesting game to unpack. Because first, second halves were different. Tactically, both managers had some big moments. Um, just yeah, fun to watch and and, and interesting to follow. Yeah, I, I love that you bring up
2: uh, some of those personnel decisions because I think that that really contributed to a lot of that like really cagey feeling in that first half. Because it was two teams that were trying to. Feel each other out and try to figure out exactly where the breaks were going to be, um, and uh, it's it's tough because that's a, a Philadelphia side that, like you say, their engine is just running a little bit light with with Bedoya struggling a little bit. Um, so then we look at what really really changed it in the second half. Jack McGlynn. Struggled in his first few minutes coming on and then really turned it on. They got that midfield right after he settled in. Uh, because as part of that that passing sequence that um generated NYC's goal, part of it was also that McGlynn did not pick up uh Morales's run out of midfield to where he picked up the ball just on top of the 14, gave him the time to go ahead and and slot that away. Really, really beautiful goal. But a preventable one. When you think about if that run is tracked, then it's 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 cut out pretty well, potentially. You know, Maxi's also a magical player. He can do a lot of really incredible stuff. Um, and then like Corey Burke changed the game when he came on. He was so so direct, um, and just so so strong. That uh, challenge that he made on Jack uh, Justin Hack. For the third, or in leading up to the third goal, that was m- brutal. Like he just absolutely bodied him. Uh, he obviously really, really sets up that third goal with his run. Uh, I thought that he was going to put that white to God's dog significantly sur- sooner, but really, really great job. I love that second gear that Philadelphia has. That really gives them a chance. Um, what What did it feel like? What did that second half feel like, Joey, in the stadium? That's what I really want to know because that it looked bumping the entire time, but it really seemed like everybody took a breath and was ready to go in that second half.
0: Yeah, I think after the first half, it was basically back to like it was a stalemate the entire half. It was it was almost like we hadn't played just because there was nothing in the game at that point, right? There was a little the celebrations were you know quickly muted after. Uh, Gosdok had that header that wasn't, um, and then after that, it was really just dead, right? No chances really to speak of, uh, neither keeper really had to make a save. L- uh, NYCFC had been even time wasting for a little bit. There was injuries in the first half. So it was just such a, a dead first half that when you came to the second half, it was almost still that kind of like nervous energy of like, okay, literally nothing happened. So you know, like we now, like, here we go. Like something's, something's got to change. And then when NYCFC come out, they play well, they get the goal in such, you know, cutting fashion. It, it was, there was like a, there was a little bit of wind taken out of the stadium, but I think because of the Union, because the Union have been attacking so well all season, it was like, okay, and personally, I wasn't sure just because it looked so dead at the beginning of the second half, but I think that there was still a little bit of belief that, you know what, like, We were a team that scored so much in the back half of the season. If it just happens once, we're right back in this game. It came from an unexpected source, but the second that that goal went in, there was so much belief. And then when Gosdog scored, it was almost like it was inevitable. And at that point, it was just there was just so much going the union's way the the Burke goal kind of felt like it was coming almost, and really after the Carranza goal, and I mean really even after the Blake save, right? That that we really haven't talked about, but he made an incredible save on Eber, uh, or sorry, it was Collins to deny the goal, uh, the header goal. And after that moment, and then Carranza scores, it's like okay, here we go. And then the Union kind of found that gear that uh, you guys were talking about, and I think that that was just crucial. But the crowd was great. I think that they said, you know, so the, the largest crowd in Subaru Park history. It certainly felt electric, and I'm not sure anyone left for the uh, the trophy lift. That was pretty awesome as well. Um, uh, just a, a great game all around. And tactically, I think what you guys have said is basically what I would echo. Right. Um, Burke McGlynn, changed the game, and it always helps. Also, like when I said the the Blake thing. When you have a a player that can just, who is just that good, who can save you, literally save you a goal, Um, you need that in the playoffs. Without Blake, maybe the Union don't win that game because maybe that ball goes in, but because you have a player of that quality, you always give yourself a chance, and that's all the Union needed to kick it into gear, score one, score two, and then they were off and running. Andres, do you have anything more on this?
1: Oh, you said exactly what my point was. I had forgotten about that play, and you're absolutely right on that on that headed goal. I think it was Martin's um, who who had the ball, who heads it. Um, he stays up after a set piece, and, and Blake gets down and saves it. And at that point, I, I think that was what 64 minutes in, uh, or something around there. And you know, at that point, if you're down two nothing, uh, with the momentum firmly in NYC's favor. Uh, I think we're talking about a different MLS Cup preview um, than we are right now. So it's just such a huge moment, and we've seen it from Blake before. um, And it's right to give him all the praise for for making that huge save, keeping them in the game, um, and we see what happens after that. So, yeah, great shout uh, on that. Um, Really good point.
0: Yeah, Matt, I'm interested in getting your take on kind of what – a, what Blake has meant to this team throughout the course of the year, and what were you thinking when he made that save? Did you think that the Union had something in the game that that save was going to have an impact? And I guess kind of just that moment forward, then the Union really started to take back the game. It's always nice when your star can produce a catal- like a, a catalyst um, like that to kind of flip the game, flip the script entirely, and give your team a shot.
2: Absolutely. I- Blake is just an absolute safety blanket for this team because there's a certain confidence that you can have when you know that your goalkeeper is hot. I think back to a week ago, we were talking about Montreal versus uh, this NYCFC team. And the standout performer in that match was Sean Johnson, who absolutely stifled a couple of chances that Montreal had early on and that team just got so frustrated that they could no longer continue forward. Blake made the, the save that, in this case, just reinvigorated that team. I think this was also... Was this also right after he was shouting uh, to his teammates to basically just play smarter, to really, really use their heads to get back in the match, start paying attention, and, and really, really get back in? That's leadership. And I think having somebody who can... Elevate a team like that is so, so important. That's an absolute x factor that Andre Blake and only Andre Blake can bring to a team like this,
0: especially after losing Badoya, you need that leadership. And that's a great point by you that, like he brings that leadership and that kind of mentorship that, you know, Badoya is so good at losing him at halftime. You know, but is going to be there for the intensity. He's going to be there to work and losing someone like him maybe kind of inadvertently made the team drop that level in terms of, like, they didn't have that that leader pushing them on, making them work that, you know, little extra bit, and then they, they kind of fell out of that mindset, and then the second that Blake makes that save, they click back into that and, like, oh, yeah, this is the Eastern Conference final. 30 minutes to get a goal to save our season, and then they got three. Uh, and that was just so, so, so crucial. I, I think... Um, Andres, you can kind of finish up your thoughts on this game. You know, what what was this game in the grand scheme of things? Um what, when we talk about two teams that are on such a high level of soccer, what what was ultimately the difference in this one? What really separated the two teams at the end of the day to you?
1: That's a good question. Uh, you know, I think we've seen Philadelphia how solid they are as a team and how unlikely um they are to to get blown out or or really give up that many goals um and i think when we look back to 2021 um and the eastern conference final uh there was you know so much said about how nyc got through philadelphia didn't really have a chance to play with their with their starters um this nyc team while they found that gear um Again, they, they played much better than they were playing. It just seems like it's it's not quite all there in terms of you know togetherness as a team, uh, the way that Philadelphia is. That this is a Philadelphia roster that's been kind of put together and coming together for a while, save, save Carranza and Ura, who are, are new. Um, and I, I think you kind of saw that resiliency, uh, that ability to step up to the moment, uh, and I think you saw an NYC team that maybe got a little comfortable after that first goal um, and really wasn't quite 100% up to the up to the task of the last 30 minutes. So is it different if, if you have Tati um, and Cheneaux, uh and Ronnie Dyla and maybe Talis Magno in there? Yeah, maybe. Um, but at, as the rosters are constructed right now, uh, being in philadelphia with this three or four year run that philadelphia's been on i think you kind of saw all of that come together and that last 30 minutes
2: i think it also kind of goes to the old cliche of of soccer being a weak league sport where really the biggest uh issue is that one player just does not get to that and you know step up to the same bar that everybody else is at and part of that process of feeling each team out was Philadelphia found areas where they could attack specifically Justin Hawk and, and not to say that Hawk is a horrible player or anything. He just had a rougher game. And I think that after basically the, after the second goal, that's when they really realized that they could take advantage, that they could kind of target him. And, And it, it really kind of broke that down. Um, it's it's unfortunate, like, it's just one of those things that you have to be able to bring that attention back up to be 100% on, and he just didn't have it on the night.
0: Yeah, uh, unfortunate for him, and unfortunate for NYCFC, because, you know, they were right there, they were half an hour away from another trip to MLS Cup, but with it being in Philadelphia, with the momentum behind, as soon as that goal went in, the crowd was just so electric um it was only it almost seemed like it was meant to be for philadelphia to kind of right the wrongs of 2021 and now you know travel to la to take them on in mls cup 2022 a really solid performance for philadelphia in the last half hour blake starting it off and it really it was the players that have been there the entire season it's, it's been Carranza it's been Gazdag who are so solid for the union from you know really since day one and even a guy like Corey Burke someone who doesn't always get on the score sheet but has been there for years has been one of those pieces that is just kind of a union guy through and through and will put his life on the line for the team and was able to you know show up in a big way get that kind of highlight real goal and it's great for him as well and the union lifting the trophy bedoya finally getting his hands on silverware um that isn't just you know a regular season award but is finally playoff accolades that have been kind of evading the union for a bunch of years now they uh win the eastern conference for the first time and will make their first ever appearance in mls cup good on the union and it was just a lot of fun uh to be there for that game so uh final uh union three n y c f c one and i'm you know we can for a second before we move on uh to m l s cup we can do kind of the post on n y c just like we did for Austin because you know it is the conference final and this is a, a team that is that good so matt you know kind of your final thoughts on the tumultuous year for NYCFC that ended unfortunate uh at the hands of the union
2: yeah tough year, but that's a a tough year that they finish third in in the East, like, that's, it is, that's exactly this it. Is such a good team. Um, and the the big thing that they're kind of going to have to deal with now is that they're going to have to go through a rebuild. And part of that is a change in leadership. You know, Nick Cushing comes in, and this is, uh, from everything that I've read, this is City Football Group's guy. Like, they they trust him. They're going to go ahead and give him the, the chance. And I think that there's there's a lot to give them credit for on that. Um, the bigger issue that I think is going to be really, really tough for them to handle is that they have some really big key members going into free agency. Uh, we're talking Alex Kienz, Sean John, and Anton Tenderholm. Those are free players that are going to be very desired across this league. And, you know, they have such a good... Uh, scouting department and talent pipeline that they will be able to fill that but we know that it's a difficult league to come into right away and have success so i think that that's going to be something that they need to pay attention to um and they're gonna have to really start some like or some uh transition planning uh i don't know what do you guys think on that what do you think where do you think they can really improve
0: For what it's worth, you know, I think I saw that there was an interview today or yesterday, Anton uh, Tinnerholm won't be going back to NYCFC. So right there, that's one, right? That you're losing one of the best outside backs in the league for a bunch of years. Uh, Had the unfortunate thing with, I believe it was his his Achilles, uh, and started to come back in toward the end of this year. I I think for them, I mean, get Magno back, right? Get Cheneau back. You can, you know, because you're going to have those three center backs, Um. You can still play that three back that really started to work towards the end of the season, but like like you said, re-sign Collins, re-sign uh, Sean John, and I think you really stabilize that back line and you know continue that good run of form that you've had in the back for the last couple of years. I think really at that point it's just you know I like Ebert as well, and he had been playing well with that group. Do you think that he's the future? Do you think that you can buy another striker more along the lines more along the lines of Tati? That is. Just kind of an out and out finisher, and really, if you're able to just keep a lot of the pieces that you had this year, you know it was already such a tumultuous year. They had to play on the road at Philadelphia, right? Like, it's just one of those things where if you just bring back these pieces, this is a roster that's good enough to be right back here next year, and maybe a few bounces go differently, and they are an MLS Cup with the roster that you know they have this year. So, do they need to do much? I don't really know. Stay healthy, I guess. Bring back the pieces that you had this year. Maybe see if you can add one or two others with you know that you know ridiculous scouting, uh, you know conglomerate that is City Football Group. And I think you're really fine, Andres. What's your take on NYCFC? A rough year, we say in quotations, as they you know make it to you know, the conference final. You know most teams can't say that.
1: Yeah, I think they've got some major decisions coming coming up, right? So like you guys mentioned, Collins and Sean John are going to be uh, super, super sought-after free agents. They're two of, you know, you can make the argument that both of them are top three or four at their position in the league. Uh, can you keep them? If you can keep them, then your rebuild is a lot less thorough. Uh, if you lose them, then, then you're, you know, starting from, from scratch at the back almost. Uh, Maxi looks like he can still play, but he's 35, uh, Santi Rodriguez is on loan. So, you know, you have another year of him, but is he, is he long-term going to be there? Uh, Magno is a winger that they're, I think, wanting to make a nine in the way that they did with, with Castellanos. Uh, but it's, it, it didn't really work this year, so... Are you going with Hebert as your as your sole nine next year? Are you going to try to shoehorn Magno in? I think they've got... They should be very good because of what they already have in-house and the amount of scouting prowess that they have. But this is a very, very big offseason um, for a club that I think we could see a very different roster next year. Um, I think it would behoove them... To not make so many changes and try to keep Collins and Sean John and just tinker around the midfield and the and the in the wingers. Uh, but if they lose them, they're going to have to find replacements. So really big off season coming up. I I think Cushing will stay. It seems like he's done enough to keep that job and they they like him. Um, so now it's it's on to front office to to make some pretty major decisions and we'll see we'll see where it goes. But it's going to be a story to follow for the next three or four months for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, the decisions that they have to make or, you know, those are going to really decide what happens next year. Because like I said, if you keep those players, you, I mean, and I didn't even mention Santi Rodriguez, Gabriel Pereira, you know, those are just, they're so good. Keaton Parks, they're just all really, really solid players. Like, right? like that's a great core on any MLS team. And, you know, forgetting, Guys like Chanel, Colin, Sean John, you know, like Magno, right? Those are just, that's such a solid team front to back and all facets of the game. If you're able to keep that together, you know, like uh, the sky is really the limit for this team, as it was last year when they won MLS Cup. And the fact that you were at least able to get one cup out of this team and, you know, an Eastern Conference Final, and we'll see what happens next year, that is a win in and of itself. So we'll see what, you know, if they're able to continue some of the success next year that they had uh, these past couple years. So it's kind of it on this game. And on NYCFC as they fall to Philadelphia. Uh, and we can really move on to MLS Cup. You know the the game. There's one more game in the MLS season. And I do want to start Andres. Just by breaking down the fact that like. This is a game that will showcase MLS's two best teams. It is that simple. LFC and Philadelphia have been there. For months and months and months it was those two that were battling out in the final weeks of the season for supporter shield. It is those two teams that will play at bank of California stadium for MLS cup. And I think it is really fitting that this is the matchup. Andres, when you say, I I just, I don't think it could have happened any other way.
1: For sure. The uh, large sample size nerd in me is absolutely loving that. This is the, the outcome of, of the rounds of the playoffs that we've had so far, you know, if you're a fan of a team and, you know, one of this wild card Cinderella type teams that makes a run, I think that's very cool for that fan base. Um, but for people that I think enjoy the league and the stories and the way that teams develop over the course of a year or several years, uh, seeing the two best teams, I think inarguably at this point, um, with totally different philosophies for how they go about being the two best teams, um, I think is a real treat. And I, I think it's it's really cool that we get this opportunity. It's the first time that we've had one versus one in 20 years. Um, and I think for, for the league as a whole, it shows that you have these two different avenues for, for being uh, a successful franchise and for us as fans uh, to get the opportunity for this game. We, we can break down decisions and tactics and so on, but I think it's, before we get into all that, just awesome that, that that's the matchup and the opportunity that we get as a,
0: as a community to watch. Yeah, Matt, you kind of just echo those same thoughts.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Credit to both these teams for, number one, having teams that they are built to last. You know, they, both teams went through injury struggles. Both teams went through, you know, minor dips in form. But these are the two most consistent teams in Major League Soccer, not just over the last year, over the last, like, four. You know, this is this is a really, really well done. Um, and and it's also just nice because this is two very different styles of clubs. Um, like like you're saying, Andres, you know, it, I when I look to the on the field stuff, we have a really, really a team that can play absolutely beautifully in LAFC, and a team that will run you into the dirt in Philadelphia, and then you have their, you know, the, the number two club in the bag, that's, Philadelphia is brutal when they're attacking uh, in transition, and in pieces like Jack McGlynn, you have some absolutely gorgeous passing in Philadelphia. This is an absolute dream matchup. This is the only way it could have happened. So, so happy that this is the matchup.
0: Yeah. I mean, I just, I just had to get out of the way because I think it is just so clear these teams are just so head and shoulders above the competition. I'm uh, glad that we could see them in this game. I think we can really start to break down what we expect to see in this game, similar to what we said last week with uh, Philly trying to play a cagey game against NYCFC. I think for them, that's got to be the game plan: contain, contain, contain that attack that we talked about with LA. With that defense that you know has two, you know, and three if you include Andre Blake in the MLS best eleven, right? Like, you know, you, your defense is at that level. It is maybe the best, probably the best in MLS. Can you contain, uh, Buanga and Arango and Vela for ninety minutes with those, you know, midfielders, you know, particularly Safruentes that like to get up in the attack as well, right? It's going to be a team effort. It's not just going to be the back four and the back five. That are going to be tasked with doing that but they are going to be tasked with taking care of that initial press that lafc offers and those the long you know vertical runs that they make in the counterattack. It is going to go, be down really to the center backs and the outside backs can they contain lafc when they're trying to go quick and can they make this game a cagey affair that is played in the midfield can they limit the opportunities of lafc i think that's going to be strategy for Philly Matt. Do you kind of agree with that or do you think that's, you know, gonna be what Philly's aiming for? Or do you think that they might play a little more aggressively defensive? I think
2: they're going to need to do a little bit of that. Um a big part of LAFC's win over Austin that we were talking about was the fact that Austin just did not get enough pressure when the LAFC center backs had the ball. I think you're going to see Ua and Carranza really making sure that the second that a center back picks, picks up the ball, they're there. And so, you know, depending on how long that is, that should really limit the number of, of those chances where the center backs or even the fullbacks are just bypassing midfield, getting the ball up to Buonga, getting them running directly at goal. Uh, I think that's going to be a big, big part of it. And then, they need to be really, really smart and not get out of shape. Like, the, a big thing that uh, LAFC can absolutely do is they can play pretty amorphous soccer and really, really get very, very good um, matchups where you have Hollingshead, Setsi Fuentes and Vela running at, you know, a center back and a fullback. You need to be really, really smart about when you go ahead and step up and make your challenges.
0: I think additionally, and I'll just going to throw this one to you, I think it's going to be on those center mids, the, the ones that Philly. those center mids are really what provide the width. Um, like the outside backs do as well in the attack, but if LAFC, you know, and I think a lot of this game for LAFC, if they're able to break that first initial press of Philadelphia, is going to be kind of played in Philadelphia's half once Philadelphia, you know, loses the press and just drops in. I think a lot of it's going to be, Can, you know, those outside mids, whether it be Bedoya if he's healthy, and if it's not Bedoya, it's going to be McGlynn and Flock, can they contain those LAFC outside backs? Like both Palacios and Hollingshead love to fly up on the outsides. Can you contain those, you know, two on ones? And can you make those more favorable matchups for the uh, the Philly defense in that, you know, case? And I think from an LAFC standpoint, it is how quickly can you go and break down Philly? Because when Philadelphia gets in a block, they're really tough to break down. But it's can they get there before, you know, Philadelphia is able to double? And I think that's going to be key. Do you, do you kind of see that, uh, you know, playing out that way? And I think... You mentioned it
1: on those outside mids. You know, if Bedoya can go or can't go, is going to be hugely consequential. Um, as good as Jack McLean is, especially on the ball, uh, I don't. I don't know that this game is, especially the initial part to this game, isn't really going to suit his his strengths um, in terms of getting pressure on those outside backs, um, covering covering that ground. Uh, putting in the scrappy tackles, that's not really what he wants to be doing. Um, and, and so having Bedoya in there, I think is going to make a big difference if he can go. Um, and I think, yeah, you're right. Philly. If Philly gets back in their block, they're tough to break down. But Matt's point about, you know, putting pressure on the center backs, I don't think Philadelphia wants to sit too far back. Um, because if, if they recover the ball in their own third, and then, you know, LAFC puts pressure on them, that that might lead into some more dangerous positions coming back the other way. So I think Philadelphia won't want to have too much of the ball, but I don't think they'll sit particularly back either. Um, this this might be one of those games where the majority of it, if Philadelphia were to win, needs to be played in the middle third of the field. Um, I don't think they're going to want to just sit back and absorb pressure, nor, nor do I think they're going to you know go after LAFC. They, they kind of need to balance the two of them. Um, in order to to mitigate some of those over the top runs that we saw against Austin, I, I I really want to kind of echo some of
2: that uh, as far as this LFC team that that second bag that that counter pressing bag is really really solid and that means that Flock and Martinez need to be a little bit cleaner in possession than I think they have been throughout the playoffs. Both of them are absolutely studs at, at what they do, but I don't think that. You know, holding the ball and, and being calm under pressure is necessarily the, the key factor for either of those guys. And so I, I almost question if, if they want to play more in the midfield. I think that they might be trying to really look at trying to find Ua over the top and seeing if they can really kind of stretch the LFC back line at that point. Um, but again, not, that's not a perfect way to go either.
1: Are we thinking thinking it's a 100% certainty that Uro gets to start?
0: I think he probably has to because there's really only one player on field that provides that pace up top, and it's him. He's the only one with that explosiveness, right? He needs to start, in my opinion.
2: I, I think so, too, and I think Corey Burke is so much better coming off the bench at this point because... You know, if you're wearing down center backs over the, the course of that first half, which he can do so, so well, uh, or Uwe can do so, so well, I, I think then bringing in a strong and fast player like Corey Burke, who also knows when to make really smart challenges, is a big part of, of, of what we saw last weekend. But I, I think your question is well taken, though. Like, Yeah, for sure. It, it was not UA's best game against NYC. And I, I think I that...
1: The- uh, uh, I tend to agree with you guys, yeah. but I just wanted to see your thoughts. I, th- I think it, he leans towards Uro, but I, I'm not sure it's slam dunk.
0: Yeah, and I don't think it should be, especially after the you know Corey Burke, you know, put his stamp on that game versus NYCFC. Like, if there's any game to start him, if we're talking about form, this would be it. This is the best I've ever seen Corey Burke play. But it's because, in my opinion, he came off the bench and was able to do those those things that were just so... It's so physical, right? Winning the first touch against tired defensive legs, spinning them, and then starting to drive and making that defense have to make a decision. You know, who do you take? And and forcing defenses into those tough decisions when they're tired is what he's best at, right? Winning those headers, all that good stuff. I think that can come later in the game. I think it's just he's just better suited for you know, a post-60th-minute appearance and when he can really start to work. And I think if the Union are looking to go quick, early, or is the best option for that because, you know, Carranza and, and Burke are both, you know, they're both fast, but they take a little longer to get into their stride. Um, with Or he can, he can spin a defender really, really well, really quickly, and just ha- he has that burst. That really, the, no one else in the union has uh, in the attacking, you know, part of the game. So, I think he's kind of necessary. You know, start him, see what you get out of him, uh, and you know, then you can make adjustments. Obviously, Carranza has to start. Um, he, he's kind of locked in at this point.
2: He's so good at dropping in the midfield. He's he had an exceptional game against NYC, and that that like cushioned header for the assist on the second goal was gorgeous. Oh, so Caranza. Oh, my gosh! Um, the other reason that I really think uh Uwe starts is looking back through the last losses that l a c has had uh their last loss was uh decision day against Na- Nashville. um I'm chalking that one more up to the fact that Willis really won that match for Nashville uh that was the nineteen save match or something like that, and just you know they should not have have won that but Great goalkeeping, which is another X factor that we need to bring into this match with Andre Blake. He's going to have a big day. Um, Before that, it was FC Dallas uh, winning 2-1 over LAFC in Dallas. LA also had a red card. Um, So then the one before that was Houston. And what does Houston really, really try to do? They were largely hoofing the ball forward to Ferreira and seeing if they could go ahead and get him in space. Uh, And uh, I think... You're going to see a little bit of a recreation of that um, because I don't think that Philadelphia has the passing network and prowess to do what Austin did in in late August to LAFC. That's why I think we're going to be looking at at opportunities to bypass midfield and get it into space. If LAFC gives up that space is a big question, though, because I don't know if they're going to.
0: Yeah, the like you talked about, Matt. Their midfield balance was so good against Austin that is really scary. And I, I think first things first, we saw the most dangerous that LAFC can be is winning the ball, transitioning quick to the attack, counterattacking their opponent. They were just so ruthless versus Austin. I, I'm not sure if they ended up directly scoring off of any one of those, but I remember, you know. So Fuentes hit the post, and they had that scrum. They had so many good opportunities. They're bound to score one if you know they have that same number of opportunities versus the Union, and it's going to be on them. And the outside backs in particular, I talked about this versus NYCFC, it was less of a problem because the Union didn't try and go that quickly into the attack and flood numbers down the wings. But it you can't... Overcommit if you're Wagner or Baizo in this game. You've got to stay sound knowing that at any given moment, it's going to be Buonga or Vela ready, you know, standing there to pounce, even Sofuentes getting wide, ready to hurt you on the counter. So, you know, positionally, they're going to have to be so good.
1: At the same time, I think if you're Philadelphia, you're looking to take advantage of when Palacios and Hollings, get forward, which they do a lot. Um, and if you can get the ball along, um, and catch them upfield. Uh, that that might be to to Matt's point. Your your best chance at, at getting a quick uh, counterattack. Just go over the top um, and attack uh, the two center backs who are who are still back. Um, yeah, it, you can take advantage of that aggressiveness on their wing backs or their fullbacks um, to get to get a counter going.
0: Yeah, it's, it's going to go both ways. Uh, just a quick history of these two teams. In, uh, in the short time that LAFC's been in this league. First time they played was in 2018, 4-1 to LAFC at home. Then in 2019, they played in Philadelphia, a 1-1 draw. In 2020, uh, that was the game, really the only game that was played in MLS, or that, that first match week before COVID, was the crazy 3-3 game in LA. That was when Glesnus hit a banger. Uh, his first real, like real glaziness banger moment in MLS. That was out that free kick. Uh, I believe that was Jose Martinez's first star. I saw the Union posted someone something about that. So a couple firsts in the Union. Uh, for that, that was really the first time that they um they, that team that we see now really started to assemble. And, and then earlier this year, two two in LA. It was a late night game. I remember that it was at like eleven p.m. on the East. But LAFC, or sorry, um. Philly scored first with Gazdag, then LAFC equalized, then Carranza scored, then LAFC equalized. So, like, really, this year, right, if we're just using the 2022 game as the metric for these two teams, it was a very open game, right? Both teams had good chances, and uh, Carranza hit a banger. You know, Gazdag had a nice goal as well. The last time that these two teams played was not the KG affair, that I think you know we're talking about in terms of very conservative approach or semi-conservative approach by Philadelphia, that that was an all-out battle two-two right. So if we see something like that, if we see a more open game, Matt, I'm I'm wondering who do you think this favors if if it is more open in the style that the two-two game earlier this season was.
2: It's really tough to say because there's so many different components that I think really changed that up. Looking through that, that was a match that uh, Corey Burke started. Um, And so I I like Corey Burke in, in those open matches, because number one, that probably means that center backs are coming a little bit further forward and he can really find opportunities to get in behind. Um, And he also is just, again, so, so good at holding the ball up and winning challenges. Um, But in the teams as they are right now, an open game like that, De Bruyne is going to have a day. Like that's, if you're giving him space, he can absolutely eat that up, and that's that's a big concern for me. Um, I I would give the edge to LaFC in that case, but I I think yeah. that there's there's absolutely an argument that that could benefit. You know, <laughs> looking at if if. Carranza in drops into into midfield kind of alongside gauze they have a, a lot of numbers in that midfield that then you can really try and open up some good channels that it, it's a tough one this is about as even a match as I could have thought of despite the fact that it's going to be heavily favored towards lafc because home advantage in in major league soccer is massive but that's because oh,
0: I'm completely with you by the way on that I think the the difference is Buanga and what he can bring is so, you know, great in terms of that attacking or that counterattacking open expansive game. I think that's why the Union have to make this a, a more tense affair, have to play this one in the midfield, have to limit those quick attacking opportunities. Andres thoughts on that kind of how um you know the the quick attack uh, might favor LAFC compared to earlier this season. Or, or do you have something else uh, really with that earlier game that you think could, you know, play a part in, in this matchup? You know, this one obviously being so much bigger than, than uh, the one earlier this season.
1: Yeah, I'd be shocked if, if Jim Curtin allowed this game to be open um, the way you guys are talking about. You look back at that earlier game, um, possession was 66 66- uh, 34 in favor of lafc um passes were 420 to 170 um, lafc and you know i you know going on the road mls cup um i i don't think jim Curtin says let's let's open up and, and just get after it here um i think it'd be it'd be fun for us as especially as a neutral to watch it but um but I, I imagine a more conservative, more cagey sit. Um, you know, in a mid-block, win the ball in midfield, and try to go over the top type game from from Philadelphia. And and, and we, yeah, before we, before I, I finish, you know, center center back for LAFC is a bit of a question um, as well. We, we saw Chiellini get the start, but only go 45. Um, I'm not sure what Segura's uh, status is. You know, are we going to see Seb Ibiaga start next to Murillo? Uh, that's, while he's a good player, that's your fourth center back. So that's one of those open questions that I have from LAFC and how Philadelphia try to game, tries to game plan to, to take advantage of that. Go ahead. Now I'm done.
0: <laughs> no, no, you're all good. You're all good. I, I think just, um, I, I think, and Matt, thanks for encouraging me to bring up McGlynn in the chat. No, I I. I think McGlynn is such an interesting player and holds the keys to Philadelphia if they want to play a little bit more of an expansive game. Because, I've said this before in this pod, I I truly do mean it, that in terms of the tiki-taka passing, kind of the more Spanish-style, the the, the passing that's kind of, you know, taken over soccer in the last 10 years and it's kind of that new, you know, exciting way to play, he's the best that has ever put on an American jersey in, in in terms of that passing, right? Like, I'm not saying that even just in that, in the broader aspect of passing, he's the best American ever, but in terms of what he can do with the ball in tight spaces, the techie touches, I've not seen anyone be able to do what McGlynn can do in an American jersey. Now, I think his time will come later on, on that kind of grander scale because there's other aspects of his game that he has to work on in the meantime. But in, in terms of what he can do in this league with Philadelphia, that could be key if they're looking for someone to pick a lock like they were against NYCFC. Now, I, and Andres, I, I think you bring up a good point in the chat that if, you know, if Bedoya can play, you put him in to start. He's your captain. He's your workhorse. He's he's a better player if you want to feel out the game, but if you know what you're putting McGlynn in there to do, he can do the job on any team in this league because he's just that good with the ball on his left foot. He's so dangerous. He created that second goal for Philadelphia, and he can do something similar uh, in this game versus LAFC if he's given the opportunity In the right scenario. I think that is the key. In the right scenario, McGlynn can flourish in this game. Matt, do you have anything on McGlynn. And kind of that midfield balance. That they're going to have to strike. With the 8's in particular. Uh,
2: Not necessarily on McGlynn himself. But I think that this is one of the biggest question marks. Leading up to this match. Uh, And it it really kind of comes down to the fact. That McGlynn and Bedoya are very different players. In the way that they approach the game. Um, Bedoya... If he's not feeling significantly better than he was before last weekend, I I really don't think can start this match because a big part of of what LAFC can do is if you have somebody who's anything less than absolutely mobile, they will bypass. And I don't think that you can carry somebody like that into a game this big, this cagey, this, this pressurized, unless they're... Really, really ready to go. I, I don't think you could have that same first half that Bodoya gave against NYCFC. Um, but you're, you're exactly right. Thinking towards McGlynn, I think calling uh, him the best passer in U.S. soccer history might be a, a bit of a stretch, but I'd have to go back and watch some tape. Um, but he's really, really good. Like His ability to play across his hips is, is great. Um, and I think... Finding instances of finding a run from Ula or finding a run from Burke or finding Carranza, you know, dropping in and combining with him. It's really, really interesting because you also have Gazdog making great, great movement off the ball. Um there's there's a lot to like in that case. That just it, it it adds a little bit more pressure to Flock and Martinez in that case because of the fact that they're going to have to do that defensive work. Cause they that's really their their number one responsibility. Whereas McGlynn's kind of becomes a little bit more chance creation.
0: Yeah. My, my thing about passing, I, I believe it. I've seen McGlynn in person a number of times and he just, he's so silky. Like that level of silkiness is something that I've not seen, but you know, I, it, you know, for a 19 year old, that is rather high praise. So, I mean, you know, we'll, we'll see what he can do in the next couple years. Andres, I'll give you the last word on this. Anything about Philadelphia's mids? Anything that you want to discuss about this game more broadly? And then it's prediction time.
1: Um, no, I, I, think, I think we've pretty much covered it. I'm ready, I'm ready to move to, to prediction time, even though I think this is particularly difficult uh, to predict. I'll, I'll just say, yeah. we got, I got both of them right last week. So um, I had both home teams moving, moving on. So, so that yeah. means
0: that whatever you say, we should, you know, <laughs> you know yeah. trust the truth. I think
1: I think Did we we all, pick, who, didn't we all pick all home teams or, or, or my uh, uh, yeah them. yeah all of us Matt definitely picked home teams. Matt
0: picked against Philly. I'm, I'm start probably Matt to this one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we can we, we, two, we, one, we right? can move on two to questions. I'm
1: good.
0: Yeah, Matt, you said two one NYCFC last weekend, right?
2: Yeah, I think so.
0: Yeah, no, that's all right. I. <sighs>
2: Listen, yeah. McGlynn changed the game. I, I I didn't account for it. That's on me. So no, you know, no, like, I'm, right. like, I'm right. not my face. I'm, that's all right. I, I, said, uh, I said, you know, you 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 were right there in that prediction. Yeah. Who's brave enough to to start off predictions for this match?
0: Uh Uh, I don't know. I threw it to Andres for the question, and he kind of you know didn't you know give me a good answer on that one. So you know <laughs> what, Andres, you get to start off the dreaded predictions.
1: Sure. Yeah, that's fine. So uh, I've been been thinking about it for the last 10-15 minutes what I want to go with as we've been talking through the game so I'm going to go with a 1-1 draw that extends into penalties um, and Philadelphia wins in penalties on the road so uh, I'm going out a little bit on on a limb I think LAFC is the favorite rightly so Um, but I think uh, they being the union will do just enough to to keep themselves level, uh, eke out getting into penalties over through intense pressure from LaFC uh, for the last you know forty five minutes, including the extra time, and then Andre Blake steps up in, in penalties and and they win it. I'm gonna go with that. Wow,
0: and you said no nil at the end of uh, one hundred and twenty. I
1: think I think they'll both oh, well, find. I think there's both teams have um, enough good players. I think it'll be it'll be difficult to keep them both off of the off of the score sheet, and in order for my penalties prediction to come true, they've got to score uh, both teams. So I'm going to go with one one.
0: Yeah, that's fair. That's fair, Matt. What do you have? And kind of how do you think the game's going to lay out? And then we need to we need a score. I think
2: that what Andres was talking about with the um, just a little bit of concern. Between LAFC's center centerbacks, I, I, Sebastian Nabiaga is a wonderful player, but I don't think that he's, you know, he's he's obviously not Giorgio Chiellini. Very few people are. Um, and I think that there's going to be a drop-off, because I, I question if Chiellini's going to be able to go in a match that he's going to be running up against Ua and Carranza and Gazdog. I think Gazdog is also going to have a lot of uh, opportunities to really pressure Ilié and try to find... Uh, opportunities to turn the ball over high up—that is what really, or those two components, are why I think that Philadelphia wins this one, three to two. This is not a
0: situation I that I find myself in. I oh. <laughs> wasn't expecting to go last with the with your co-host picking your team, huh? I thought I would just be kind of like, you know what. Yeah, yeah, I love my team, but I'm going to have to bet against them. And honestly, you made my life a lot harder, but I think I am going to stick with what I had initially. LAFC played really well last week, and I wasn't sure until last week when they just demolished Austin, a good Austin team at home. I think Philly's a good team, really good team. Was probably the the best team in the league, right, in the second half of the season. But I can't shake what I saw from LAFC at home, at home, right, last week they're going to be home again i think that they find a a kind of ridiculous goal at some point you know in the first half and then i think philly you know starts to knock in the second half but i think uh lafc might just be able to hold on and then maybe like they'll grab one in like the 90th minute kind of like a like a, like a garbage time goal that kind of thing i honestly think it could be something like 2-0 lafc maybe tighter than a 2-0 scoreline but I think it's just so hard to contain what LAFC have in the attack. But I say that I think it could easily flip and be something like you said, like a three-two Philadelphia, because it just becomes so open, and they and Philadelphia just finds you know whatever the right code is to unlock that defense. But it's hard to bet against the home team. MLS club has favored home teams in recent years. Um. Not last year, but in recent years. And I think it might just happen again. Um, and that's why I have maybe something like 2-0 LAFC. Though, hoping against hope that I am just dead wrong and you guys uh, you know, might just hit on your predictions. So we shall see. Do you guys have anything more that you guys want to touch on on this pod before we wrap it up and the next time we'll talk is after we've crowned a champion?
2: Yeah, I wanted to, uh, before we close off the day, uh, I wanted to give a shout-out to the other soccer championship uh, within this, you know, sometime this month. Um, NWSL final was last weekend, and this was in Washington, D.C., Portland going against my Kansas City Current. Uh, And Sophia Smith's so, so good, guys. Like, she's just ridiculous. Uh, uh, I believe... She had the goal and the assist. I, I can't remember if she had the assist on the second goal, but she's an absolute star in the making. Cannot wait to see her at the world cup next year. Um, Portland wins two nil. Congratulations to the thorns. You know, obviously a very, very tough year for them specifically, but across the entire league, this was a great, great event for NWSL. So congratulations to everyone involved. Kansas city's coming back. We're going to be great next season.
0: Yeah. I echo everything you say. Um, I hadn't watched as much NWSL as I've, you know, been wanting to this year and I want to get more into it next year. That's a goal of mine. But Sophia Smith is just she is so she's good. She's the truth. She's ridiculous. Such, <laughs> such a star. Has the charisma as well. I mean, she she's everything that this league could want, uh, in, in a face that can really drive this league in, you know, into this decade and really make you know, really put this league on the map, not just in terms of women's soccer, but in terms of soccer in general, right? And, and then, I think I would echo also what you say is, this league, you know, had a lot of publicity, not publicity that, that they want, not for reasons that they want, right? Um, and being able to focus in on what they are good at, which is playing soccer, right? And put the focus back on the game, what it always should be, right? That... You know factors outside these players' control right outside what any one of these players that are just here to work and do the thing that they love to do, right the fact that those kind of took over part of the season wasn't what anyone wanted to be able to have a showcase like this and it really just be about the beautiful game. It is really so awesome, and it's just seeing some of the pictures, some of the scenes right the uh, you know, the events outside the stadium, the crowd inside the stadium, obviously, you know, the the soccer that was played, and, you know, the Thorns being such a solid squad winning again. I think that's, you know, everything that the league could want, and really uh, something that can drive this league forward, and yeah, just more of this, more of this in the NWSL. So much fun to see all those pictures, and yeah, your Casey Colonel, they'll be back next year, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, to... Two good finalists and a deserving winner in the Thorns at the end of the day. Um, Thank you for bringing that up, Matt, because I think, you know, we're not just here to talk MLS. There's a whole, there's a bunch of other leagues in the U.S. soccer sphere that, you know, deserve attention, and maybe at the top of the list is the NWSL. So thanks for bringing that up. Andres, anything more on this, or should we wrap it up for another week and look forward to our MLS Cup?
1: Let's wrap it up. Take it away,
0: Joey. Well, thank you all so much for joining us uh, on this episode. Listeners, thank you so much. Andres, Matt, thank you so, so much. It's been really fun because the next time that we talk, we will talk and we won't have to preview a game. It will be all recap, recapping the game of the MLS season, the two best teams facing off in Los Angeles at 4 o'clock Eastern on Saturday in the MLS Cup Final. It is Uh, The LAFC uh, squad that won Supporter Shield. Supporter Shield squads rarely make it to MLS Cup. But this one was good enough to make it past uh, the first uh, two rounds that they played in. They make it to MLS Cup from the West, Philadelphia, Battles in the East. Two really tough games for them, but they survived both of them. It's a 1v1 matchup, and it's everything that us as MLS fans could possibly want. The two best sides going at it for all the marbles. And so that'll take place on Saturday, and we'll we'll be back next week to break it all down. And then it'll start that kind of period where, you know, there is no rest in soccer. It'll be into the World Cup. It'll be into, you know, uh, a winner of recaps and then roster building, and MLS will be back before we know it. But for now, it's one game for all the marbles, and it's the two best teams to do it. So thank you guys so much for joining me. Thank you all so much for listening. Hope to uh, to see you guys back next week. But until then, enjoy life. Enjoy the beautiful game. And we will see you then. Enjoy MLS Cup.